Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And I hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good week. All of the Germantown kids are ready to go back to school. Not really. That's what I thought. So, moms and dads, ready for your kids to go back to school? Woo! Yeah. I mean, it's just like faint, but it's because your your strength is almost gone. But it's it's about to recharge, so it's going to be good. You know, I was listening to Dustin as he said, uh, kind of setting up for the message. It's always funny to me. The guys will will never say. Uh, pastor just kind of has an okay message today. It's going to kind of be mediocre. It's always a great, incredible word from God. You ever notice that? It's just kind of funny to me, but I can't ever really come out and say that, but I just thinking that. So anybody know? It's going to be one of those kind of days in crowds. Huh? Okay, okay, well, let's get right in, the, right in the Bible, right to the message. Just get it done, Aaron. We got lunch plans and, you know, and so anyhow, good? Everybody good? No? I do better. It's kind of call and response. It's just, it's, it's, it's just my redneck self coming out. So I just do better like that. If I say something, you say amen or oh me or whatever. I just kind of goes a, it's a little faster that way, actually. Now people get responsive like, yeah, whatever it's going to take to get this guy going. <laughs> well, we're in this series on seeds, and we've been walking through the book of Mark. Mark gives four parables. That's interesting because parables are stories with meanings. It's how Jesus taught. Mark only records four of them. And uh, there are a lot more, but Mark only records four of them. They're all about seed. I'm going to conclude this series next weekend. Hope you'll be back. I know it's Labor Day. If you're gone, you can, you can tune in uh, or kind of catch us online. Um, and, um, but, uh, but I'm going to conclude this because even the fourth parable, even though it doesn't mention seed, it's all, it's all there. I'm going to kind of unpack that next weekend. And it's very applicable to us, as I think all these are. Um, but, uh, but today we're talking about the parable of the mustard seed. So Mark chapter 4, verse 30. The first parable that Jesus gives in Mark's gospel is about the, the sower. And it's talking about human responsibility, that we as Christ followers are called to sow the seed. We're called. That's what we're called to do. And we're not to be soil inspectors, whether it's shallow soil or good soil or thorny soil or stony soil. We're just called to sow the seed. That's what we're called to do. Uh, and then the second parable that Mark gives is the, so is, the, is the parable of the seed. And that the power is in the seed. Well, we know because of the, 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 the parable of the sower, Jesus explains that the seed is the word and uh, the word of God. And so we know that the word of God, according to John's gospel, chapter 1, was made flesh and he dwelt among us. His name is Jesus. So the Bible, or God's word, and Jesus are interchangeable there. Anytime you see that, one represents the other, and the other represents the one. And so this power is in the seed. This power is in the word. The power is in Jesus. And we don't have anything to do with that. We're called to be faithful, and God will make that fruitful. God never called us to be famous. God never called us to a certain results-oriented, and I know I'm type A, so I'm preaching to the choir on this one, but um, a type of a lifestyle. I'm called to be faithful with where he's called me to sow. That's it. And he called me to sow in this city. That's why I'm here. And if he changes where he wants me to sow, then he'll direct me and I will go where he wants me to go. The same with you. We are called to sow, to live the life where he's called us to be. Not necessarily where the most comfortable is, not necessarily where 
we choose, and it can be all those things, but not necessarily is those things, but we're called to be faithful, and he makes us fruitful. But the power of the fruitfulness is not in my faithfulness. The power of the fruitfulness is in the power of the seed, which doesn't need human intervention because it's of divine nature. It doesn't need human agency to help it. God doesn't need us. He just chooses to use us. And so we come to this third parable, the parable of the mustard seed, which talks about the incredible increase that's in the seed. And so Jesus explains it like this in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 30. And he said, what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? Verse 31. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown into the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, I want you to notice in verse 30, he makes this statement again. It, what can we compare the kingdom of God to? So the way of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, those are all phrases that are not used for a physical kingdom that Jesus is talking about. But it's the way that we're to live life. It's how God has wired us, the creator, we the creation. So it's the, it's the theology, the ideology of God. And it's counterintuitive to how we're wired as humans. As humans, it's all about what I can get. It's all about bigger is better, especially in American culture. Um, it's just how we're hardwired. But the way the Bible describes, if you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to be served, then you must first serve. If you want to have friends and relationships, then you must first initiate the relationships. If, if, if you want to receive, then you must first give. It's all counterintuitive. It's an upside-down kingdom, in essence. And so it's, it's God's way of, of everything that kind of seems natural to us is really, quite frankly, kind of counterintuitive to how the Word of God and it works. And it's because the Spirit of God that's inside of us as Christ followers, it works against the flesh, which is our natural sinful state, and, and that's just how we are, we're, we're, we're made. And so there's this conflict. And if you don't believe that, talk to any parent with toddlers. And if you don't believe that, just go get an object lesson right now as you go into early childhood and just watch. And the most common word right now in church in, in the three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old room will not be Jesus. It will be mine. That's mine. I want that. Mine, mine. I mean, you, you will hear kids, and because there's a natural inclination that this is mine, and I want mine, and I want to make sure you don't get what's mine, and I want to make sure that what's mine is mine. It's like the Toby Keith song, It's All About Me, right? You don't listen to country music? Come on. Wisconsin, you're the, you're the Arkansas of the North, I'm telling you. <laughs> I was raised in Arkansas. There's more, there's more blaze orange and four-wheel drives and mullets than you can shake a stick at. I'm just telling you. If you don't believe that, go to Walmart and West Bend on any Friday night. You'll see it all. <laughs> don't hate, congratulate. All right? <laughs> that's not in the notes anywhere, but that's for free. So, but, but the reality is, is that that's how we're wired. And so, so, so what happens is, is Jesus is talking again, and he's trying to get the disciples, he's trying to get us to understand that the way that God works many times is counterintuitive to how we feel and what we think. But if we'll do it God's way, if we'll operate the way God designed us to operate, we'll operate at the highest level, which will give the greatest return for us and will be the greatest blessing to everyone else. But when we do it our way, we may get the blessing and the benefit but we're missing out on so much more that God wants to do in our lives. The Bible says exceedingly and abundantly above all we could think or ask. And we miss out on the blessing that we can be to someone else. So how do we do that? I'm so glad you asked. It's about the mustard seed. 
And the mustard seed is the smallest seed that the Jewish farmer would, would, would have ever planted. It takes about 750 mustard seeds to weigh a gram. The annual plant would reach a height of about 10 to 12 feet and within a matter of a few weeks. So once the seed has been sowed and it germinates, takes root, and it sprouts, from the time that you see it sprouting through the ground until it's full fruition, it'll, get, it'll just be a matter of weeks before it's up to 12 feet in height. So the smallest seed, Jesus is using this as an illustration, produces the greatest plant. The smallest seed produces the greatest plant. So here's what he's saying. Don't worry about the size. Don't worry about how insignificant something looks or how small something appears or, 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 or how overlooked it may be. That little becomes much when God's in it. This is, this is the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is God doesn't need big to make it great. God doesn't need fantastic to make it great. God doesn't need, need talent to make it great. All God needs is something that's small and insignificant, and he can make it great. So don't let the seeming insignificance in your life stop you. Don't say, well, I'm just one person. Or we're just one family. Or I just, we're just one business. Or, or this is, you know, or, or all I have to give is dot, dot, dot. Do you understand that God is infinite? Which means he has no beginning and he has no end. And we go, yeah, 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 God, you know, God was here before time began. And God will be here when it's over with and blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. Understand, when you have a character and a nature of, 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 of infinitesimal uh, proportion, of God being infinite, it means that that character applies to every aspect of his life, not just one dimension. So, yes, he's infinite in time. He's infinite in space. So he fills all space at all times and at, at, in, in, in all times. But he's also infinite in all wisdom. He's also infinite in all power. He's also infinite in all knowledge. He's also infinite in all resource. Which means if somebody dropped a check for 10 million bucks, you'd probably hear about it next week. Oh, God answered our prayers. Everything's paid off. We're going to build this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Because that'd be a big deal to us. But to God, $10 million is no different than $10 because he doesn't need either one. Do you understand that? It's because it's, it's, he's, he's infinite. And what I want you to understand, sometimes we get really geeked out about these things. Go, This is the big stuff. And God's like, oh, whatever, because he doesn't need it. And sometimes we overlook the small stuff. Well, that's just insignificant. No, 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 no. That's where God shows up. That's where God gets geeked out. When did Jesus stop the disciples? And an, there's only one time in Scripture where he stops the disciples during an offering. It's not the biggest offering that was ever given. It was the smallest offering that was given that day. It was two mites, less than one penny. And the woman gave, the Bible says, not from some, as he said the rich fat guys did in the room, but she gave from all. She gave everything. And, and, and God sees that. See, it's not the size of the offering. It's not the size of the talent. It's not the size of the ability. It's not the amount of time. It's the heart. It's I'm giving all that I have. And so little becomes much when God's in it. God loves to use small things to bring about big results. God loves to demonstrate the significance and insignificance. This is all throughout Scripture. You began in 1 Kings, and you see uh, Elijah and he's on Mount Carmel. And, and, and the, the nation of Israel is under severe drought. And, and he's beginning to pray. And they're, and they're asking him. And he's God's voice to the people. And, and he says, I see the cloud of the size of a man's hand. Well, you know, big deal. Like that, that, There's no way that cloud can produce what we need. But that cloud has produced the rain 
that eradicated the drought that met the need. Why? Because God wants to prove he doesn't need some cumulonimbus cloud. He doesn't need some atmospheric cosmic spectacle to show up. God, all God needs is a cloud the size of a man's hand to show up and he can meet the need. You go on to read in 2 Kings and there's another time where Elijah is going and encounters this widow woman and her and her son, she has just enough flour, just enough oil, she's going to make a cake, she's going to eat it and they're going to die. That's their plan. You ever felt like that? Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go outside and eat worms, right? It's just, it's, it's it. It's we're done. Bloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. Oh, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. No hee-haw fans. Okay. So that was my Saturday night as a kid. So anyhow, my point is, is he says, hey, before you make your last meal and die, why don't you make that last meal but give it to me? Matter of fact, why don't you do that? In the process of doing that, why don't you call all your neighbors and get all the vessels, all the jars, everything you can get, and bring them into the house? So she does exactly what he says. She brings them in. He says, I want you to take a little bit of oil that you have left, and I want you to begin to pour it in all of these vessels. And she does. And the Bible says that the, that the vessel that she had, the little bit of oil, never went dry until she filled the last vessel that she had. He said, now, you have everything that you need, to live. You can take this oil, you can sell it, you can use it, you and your son will live. Little becomes much when God's in it. John chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has been preaching all day. People are hungry. The disciples says, we got to feed these people. They find this boy with this snack pack of a lunch, just a couple of fish and a couple of loaves, and they bring it to Jesus, and they go, but how can this feed all these people? And Jesus takes it, and he blesses it. And they distribute it, and everybody eats, and there's 13 baskets left over. How? Why? Because God loves to take what everybody else overlooks and goes, that's what I'm going to use. God loves to take what everybody else says, there's no way that can work, and goes, watch me. God, 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 God is like, God loves to just say, you know, can't touch this. I mean, just, it's one of those moments where it's just like he takes the most insignificant, the smallest, the, 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 the littlest, the, 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 the most, just, just the, 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 the most in, just small, insignificant thing and creates the greatest thing out of it. That's what he's doing with this mustard seed. He's saying, look, this is the smallest seed that we have. But this seed produces the greatest, and so it is with the kingdom of heaven. The very smallest thing will produce the greatest. The very smallest person will, will be the greatest. The very smallest thing will become the greatest. Why? Because God works in that. Because the power of the seed is it doesn't need you and I. It produces on its own. See, that's where we get messed up. We think God needs our help. We think God needs our help to work it out in our family. We think God needs our help to work it out in the church. I think God needs my help to help you so that we can continue to grow the church. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need any of us. He just chooses to use us. But all he wants us to do is to trust him. The currency of heaven is not money. It's not talent. It's not time. The currency of heaven is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when I take faith to go, God, little becomes much when you're in it. Then God shows up and he goes, you got it. You got my heart. You don't overlook the small things. You don't overlook the insignificant things. You don't despise the, despise the small beginnings, but rather you get it and you understand it and you trust me just like this mustard seed. When you plant it, it produces. It only takes one seed. It only takes one. It only takes one seed. It's the power of one. I know we, we talk about teamwork makes a dream work and the power of, of you know, one is insignificant, but look at verse 31. It's like a grain of mustard seed. 
Not only is the mustard seed small, but Jesus says it doesn't take two grains or three grains or a few grains or a little grain or a handful of grain. He says it takes a grain, single, one. I'm just one person, Aaron. We're just one. I, I, I got one dollar for the offering. I, I just have one hour to give. I just have one day to serve. I just have one Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all of sin. So one guy messed it up for all of us. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is a free gift. For though the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many, many, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, it is so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There was the first Adam, Genesis, and he committed, he, 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 he violated God's will and wishes, and he sinned and sin entered into the earth. But sin was eradicated by one man, and his name is Jesus, the second Adam. Just takes one. If you're trying to sell a house today, you don't need two buyers. You just need one. You're praying to get married. You don't need 10 guys that like you. You just need one. <laughs> Amen. Oh, that's a word for somebody today. Oh, Jesus. I just need one. I just need one. You're friendless today. You only need one friend. Just one. Right? The dollar menu at McDonald's. You just need one buck, man. You just need one. I don't need two. Maybe I do, but I just see I can use one. Just one. Just one. How many times do we overlook the power of one? We see one kid running around the church, and we just go, oh, that kid's driving me. Just one. Or we just see one family, and we go, what's, we just see one car. We just see one ministry. We just see one, and we just overlook it. You overlook yourself. Well, I, man, I'm just one person, and I mean, I just set out the cones for the parking lot, and I'm just... I'm just one person, and I volunteer on Thursday nights to clean the toilets. I'm just one person, and man, I, I'm working with the junior high boys. You ever work with junior high boys? That's an experience you will never forget. Um, I'm just one. I'm just one person, and I, I just, and I just, I just, I just do one life group, and I'm just one person. I'm just, but you're one. Don't overlook that. Don't underestimate that. I'm not trying to build you up. I didn't write the book. But I'm telling you, little becomes much when God's in it, and all God needs is one grain. Not two, not three, not five, not a few, not a handful, not many, just one. But I want you to notice, it must be sown in order to produce. That seed is only valuable if it is sown. It must be sown in order to produce. The mustard seed can only produce if it's sown. That's where the power comes from. That's where the growth comes from. That's where the future comes from. Without sowing, there is no future. Without sowing, there is no growth. Without sowing, there is no power. But the power doesn't happen when the seed is left in the barn. The power doesn't happen when the seed is left in the packet. The power happens when the sower takes the seed, the word Jesus, and he plants it into soil, regardless of the soil, and Jesus will always produce. The word will always produce. He's trying to get them to understand. Lean so heavily on Jesus. Lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, you would fall. Now notice, don't lean so heavily on the church that you and I don't lean so heavily on the pastor. That's me. Because churches and pastors will fail you. You know why? 
Because I'm just like you, and you're just like me. We are all jacked up. You understand that, don't you? And those of you that think that you're not jacked up, you were the most jacked up in the room. You were severely jacked up. That's not a good thing. I'm a person. I make mistakes. I joke, but it's true. If I haven't offended you yet, see me after service. We'll get it over with. I mean, just it's going to happen. I don't mean to. I really don't. And you don't mean to. But it happens. We don't put our trust in people. It's not that we're distrustful of people. We just trust in the Lord, man. We just we trust in Jesus. And we realize that Jesus is greater than any difference, that Jesus can work through any situation, that Jesus can work through you, he can work through me, he can work through all of us. And it's amazing how God works through the local church, and I believe the local church is the hope of the world. But we don't put our hope in the church, we put our hope in Jesus. We don't put our hope in clergy or in laity, we put it in Jesus. We don't put it in buildings, we put it in Jesus. We don't put it in programs, we put it in Jesus. I was in an inner city church this week with a new pastor that just moved here from St. Louis and at 56 in Burleigh, Central Assembly of God. They used to be Greater Milwaukee Tabernacle. One of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit occurred in that church, historically. There was a day and age that that church was so growing and so burgeoning, there was not enough room, there was not enough parking, there was not, it was just, it was amazing. Such history. That church moved its location and became what was known as Brookfield Assembly of God, a fantastic, amazing church that God has used for decades. But you go to that church today, and it runs about 50 people. And the reality is, is that it's never about a building. It's never about a pastor. It's never about a church. It's never about people that's in the church. It's about Jesus. That's what produces. It's about the seed, the word of God. That's what produces. Does that make sense? That without Jesus and without preaching of God's word, we're just a country club. Without the preaching of God's word, we're just a social group. Without preaching of Jesus, without his word, we're all lost. The common denominator that we have today is not our worship, it's not our programming, it's not the fact that we're all in the same room or that we live within a proximity of each other. It's the fact that we've all come together to open God's Word and say, Holy Spirit, speak to us from God's Word. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Because the Spirit, according to John chapter 14, will always point to Jesus. And Jesus, according to John chapter 1, is the Word made flesh. It's the seed of God. And so it always produces, but it must be sown. It must be sown in order to produce. So understand this, too, that it's the same true. This principle works in every area of your life. Go back in Scripture. So God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter 1. Made man, Genesis chapter 2. They mess up, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, God is pronouncing that, that death will follow sin and all of this. And then he says, as long as the earth shall endure, there will be seed, time, and harvest. And God floods the earth and destroys humanity except for Noah and his family. Noah's on the boat for over a year. He finds dry ground, gets off the dry ground, makes an altar before God. There's a, there's a rainbow that symbolizes God's promise, but God speaks. And what does he say? Genesis chapter 8, verse 3. For as long as the earth shall endure, there'll be seed time and harvest. It's what Jesus is saying. Hey, disciples, the kingdom. This is how God made this work. If you take the seed and you sow it, it'll produce always after itself. You want a harvest of righteousness in your life? Produce righteous seed. Sow righteous seed. Sow Jesus. It'll produce. Sow God's word. It'll produce. But if you sow all these other things in your life, 
That's what it's going to produce. If you look at the harvest of your life and you're not happy with it, it's because that's what you sowed yesterday. Nobody sows in your, soil, in your soil of your life except for you. That's you. It's me. Right? It's what we teach our kids. Garbage in, garbage out. Right? It's, it's, this principle works in every area of our life. Think about it as a parent. I have two teenage daughters. And so you're trying to communicate. You're trying to deeply plant God's word and just good, biblical, Judeo-Christian values into their life. And you just feel like Charlie Brown's teacher sometime, right? Wah-wah, wah-wah, you know, right? Are they getting any of this? And the more their eyes roll back in the back of their head and they begin to look at that smartphone, you go, I'll smartphone you, and you take it from them, right? No, you don't do that? I do. I throw it across the room. And, and, and then, and then I, I just go into this whole litany of how hard life was. And I was, I, we didn't have cell phones in my age, right? Your mother and I were out of college before we had cell phones, and it was 1995 or 1994, and, and, uh, and, and you know, and I walked to school in the snow with, with you know, with, with no shoes, two miles both ways. It was all uphill. I mean, you just go into all this stuff, and they're like, oh, dear God, yeah, whatever, you know? Okay, whatever, and then my wife walks in and goes, Aaron, you've been, you've been lecturing for 45 minutes at this point. This isn't a Sunday morning sermon. You need to let them go. So I let them go. And then every once in a while, there's this glimmer of hope, isn't there? Like I'm eating and we're talking, and then they'll regurgitate something that I have said. And it's like, oh, can you just rewind that? <laughs> Say that again. They're like, what? I just said, oh. It's like they listened. They got it. Oh, Tammy, there's possibility and there's a chance that life may really exist here and that God may be able to do something great in their life. And so, you know, it may, it may actually take, take root. And then it's gone. So... And I'm told, just wait for grandkids. So anyhow, because it's worth not killing your own. So anyhow, I'm just saying. So, so the reality is, 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 but you teach. And just the same way you did, things began to come up in your life, what your parents sowed in your own life. And so it is, we'll be with your kids. And that's how we pass on generation to generation. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 says to teach and to train them. To talk about it as you walk along the road, as you get up in the morning, as you lie down. To, and, and he says, take God's word. And teach it. What? Plant the seed, because the seed has the power to produce. It's the same way in your business. You talk to your employees, you talk to your team, you talk to them, and you talk to them, and you live it, and you sow that, and it comes up. It's the same way it is in ministry. We talk about things, and we, we, we come back to it and come back to it. You know, uh, they say in communication that the time that you are tired of communicating, it's when people have first gotten it. And sometimes you have to keep just sowing and sowing and sowing. I'll never forget... January of 2003, I'd been the pastor here for all of about six weeks, seven weeks at that time. And uh, I began to do altar call. I felt like I was supposed to do an altar call. This is a room, said 100 people, 2,000 square feet. I didn't even know, I thought everybody was saved, but I just really felt like I was supposed to do an altar call. So I, if you're here today and every head bowed and every eye closed, you want to accept Christ your Lord and Savior, lift your hand. Nobody did. But I felt like I was supposed to do that. I did it the second week, nobody responded. Did the third week, nobody responded. And I began to feel like this is something, this is ground I'm supposed to plow and seed that's supposed to be planted. After about five or six weeks, I had a couple people say to me, hey, you realize you've been doing this for a while, yeah. Every week you do this, yeah, and nobody responds, yeah. Are you getting tired of doing this? I said, honestly, yeah. It's probably, why don't you stop? Well, because it's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. Okay, whatever. Next week, a couple people, you know, I do it, nobody responds. I had a couple people kind of get a little upset, a little agitated, some church people, because I was kept doing this, and, 
And what's his deal? Does he not understand nobody? And I remember in week 13, it broke. And a teenage kid that came from Germantown High School raised his hand, gave his life to Christ. And if you look at the books from that point on, on average, there has been at least one person every single week in the history of this church that's given their life to Christ. Is it me? No. It's the power of sowing the seed over and over and over and over. And there are times where people don't understand it. It's okay. Over and over. That's what leadership does. Over and over. And there's times you even wonder sometimes, God, am I missing it? Maybe they're all right and I'm wrong. Maybe this is just indigestion. I had bad chipotle. Over and over and over. And you just keep going, no, this is the word. This is the seed. I'm going to keep sowing the seed. And then God begins to produce. And that breaks it. It's a spiritual issue. And it breaks it. It's just, this is how this works. The, the seed must be sown in order to produce. The last thing is the mustard seed doesn't just produce for itself, but for others. It doesn't just produce for itself. It produces for others. It's pretty interesting. Verse 32 it says that it's large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, the sower is not sowing the mustard seed for the benefit of birds and shade. He's sowing it for the benefit of getting more mustard seed in order to be able to plant that in the next season, to sell that, and to utilize that. But yet, the byproduct is, is that a secondary blessing or activity is happening. These birds which we know ecologically will in and of themselves eat the seed and then they actually then will plant in their own way the seed at different places, right, and produce more plants. It's the whole idea that God wants to bless you, not just for your benefit, that's part of it, but also to be a blessing to other people. See, when you do it God's way, it doesn't just connect with you. It has a spiderweb effect to be able to bless not just you or your family or your business or what he's called you to. The gospel doesn't just save you or save your family or your friends, but it has the ability to multiply itself over and over and over and over to exponential time. Have you ever thought about this? I mean, you know, Jesus Christ is the most written and read about person in human history. Yet he never held a, a, a politically voted-in office. He wasn't born into a royal family. He didn't come from the right place or the right time, in essence. Uh, he never wrote a book himself. He only had three years of a public following, and it was reduced not from just 12, but to 11. And from there... The Library of Congress in, the, in, in Washington, D.C. will record that Jesus Christ is the most read and written about person in human history. The Bible has been the New York Times bestselling so many times it's no longer on the list. It is the most printed book in human history. It is the greatest story ever told, even from people that are atheistic or agnostic, that don't believe or don't know if they believe, really that Jesus is all who he says that he is. But there is something that's undeniable. And from that... There are millions and hundreds of millions and yet billions of people on this planet that are followers of Jesus Christ from a man who had three years of public service, who never wrote a book, and who never held political office, never was a leader of a nation, never conquered a people, but died a criminal's death. Why? Because the power, and he leaves that message to 11 guys who half the time were fighting with themselves changes the world. The power of the seed. I want to end with this. 
1858, Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher of boys in Boston, Massachusetts. He not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class, but he also sought to win each one of them to the Lord personally. He decided he'd be intentional with every single last one of them, and one young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was all about. So Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves on a Saturday and confronted him in the stock room with the importance of the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. In the stock room on Saturday, he believed the gospel and received Jesus as his Savior. And in his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God and thousands of people professing Christ through his ministry. But the story doesn't end there. In the late 1870s, under Moody, another man's heart was touched by God, a college student named Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands. And one day, a professional baseball player had the day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings. And thus, Billy Sunday came to faith in Christ. Sunday quit baseball and became a part of Chapman's team. And then Chapman accepted a pastorate, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. And Sunday was touted as the greatest evangelist of his generation. When Sunday preached the gospel in Charlotte, North Carolina, it was such a great meeting, he was invited back, but he was unable to attend. So he recommended a preacher named Mordecai Ham. Ham went to Charlotte in the fall of 1934 and preached, but not many people responded to his invitation to accept Christ. But on one of the last nights, a tall, lanky boy who worked on a local dairy farm walked forward, and everyone knew him as Billy Frank, but we know him today as Billy Graham. It all goes back to a Sunday school teacher of junior high boys in Boston in the 1800s. It really goes back further than that. Whoever led Campbell to the Lord and the history, that's as far as we know. That story is actually in the Billy Graham Center there in Charlotte. The story's on a wall, and it's a, it's, it kind of tells the, the whole heritage of how, how Graham came to faith in Christ. Graham's last recorded gospel presentation reached 2.2 billion people worldwide. Billy Graham has preached to more people in a single setting than anyone in human history. When we get before God and we stand before God, and hopefully we all get there, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we will, and we stand there and God begins to give out the reward, we'll all be in the room. Mark my words, Billy Graham will receive his reward and it will be great. But there'll be a Sunday school teacher that nobody knew who taught Sunday school boys that will receive a greater reward. Because God only needs one. He doesn't need someone to preach to 2.2 billion people. He'll use them. But he just needs one Sunday school teacher. One junior high boy life group leader. Just one. Graham touched all the continents on the face of the earth. Kimball just taught and touched a group of boys in a section in Boston. D.L. Moody, if you go downtown Chicago, just a few streets over from Michigan Avenue, not very far from the Hancock building, you'll, you'll find Moody Bible Institute. Because Moody, God used him to have one of the greatest revivals in the history of Chicago. Do you know, as I did a lot of research when I moved to Milwaukee, Milwaukee's one of the only cities in America that's never had a great move of God that swept the city. Minneapolis, St. Paul, yes. Detroit, yes. 
Chicago, yes. D.L. Moody said that Milwaukee's a graveyard of evangelists. This is where evangelists go to die. When Billy Graham came to County Stadium the last time he was here, when he came to County Stadium, it's the only open-door crusade that Graham did in North America that did not fill the stadium. Well, that sounds depressing, Aaron. It does until you may stop and think that God's not done. And it may be that there's some junior high kid running around this church that's creaking all kinds of havoc that we don't even know if he's saved. He's a devil child at this point. But God's got his hand on his life. And he's, run, he's being raised in your home. And you're a praying mother and a praying father. And you're not in the ministry and you don't know anything about it. And that kid doesn't know anything. But you know that you love Jesus. And you know that God's gifted you with these children. And so you pour into them, just like Deuteronomy chapter 6 says. And you love them. And you pray over them. And you believe in them. And they're just one. But that's all God needs is one. My God, I'm going to preach. That's all he needs is just one. And it could be that that kid, that God has his hand on his life, that God will use him to do what no one else has ever been able to do in this city. It may be that God uses that kid to come in and to grow in maturity and in favor and in stature before God and before man, just as it was said of Jesus. And in the right time, God opens the right door and the right opportunity, and a revival sweeps the city. And every church in the city is filled. And every, and every old building in the city is filled. And, and the new Buck Center is filled. And, and and, and, and the old and, and Miller Park, the old county stadium location is filled. And it sweeps and it sweeps and it sweeps. And it happened because one person began to do what God called them to do in one kid's life, and that kid goes on to change the world. We don't know. Amen. And you go, that's crazy. No more crazy than it is to think that Kimball was going to change the world with a Sunday school class. But that's exactly how it happened. And I'm saying this to you, Life Church. We're in a season. I'm just telling you, we're in a season where God is going to do an exceedingly and abundantly above all we can think or ask. There are times in the church where there's times that, that the, we let the ground lie dormant. It's just, it's just like, it's like what farmers do. There are seasons where we just need to be faithful to water. We just need to be faithful to, to kind of work the soil. There's times where we're, God's asking us to take new soil, and we've got to hewn the trees out. And we, it's kind of like planting a church. We've got to hewn the trees. We've got to pick up the stones. We've got to prepare the ground. But there are seasons where the seed has been planted and the harvest is happening. And it's ready to be harvested. And I'm just saying to you, I believe we are coming into, as a church, one of those seasons where God is going to begin to do things in your life and in your business and in your family and in this church and in our lives as, as a biblical functioning community that, was, that will blow our minds, that people will come to faith in Christ and will darken the doors of the church that we never thought would and that we've been praying for, but, but a bit skeptically really honestly, skeptically kind of believing that, that he will, and that all he needs is just you and me, just one, just one here and one there, just to do what he's called us to do, and just be faithful with that one thing, and then God begins to do much through that, and I just believe we're in that season of time. The power is always in the seed. It's never in you. It's never in me. Don't look at me. Don't look at somebody else. Just look to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Just trust in Jesus. 
This is what the word says. What would our church or any church be like if we all, as a group of people, just recklessly abandoned, not our jobs. No, he's called us to our jobs. He's called you to your places of employment. Not our schools. No, he's called us there. We don't need to be a holy huddle to make a difference for God. Quite frankly, we need to be dispersed into all the world. But what happens if we as a community of believers really just passionately took God at his word? Just really believe the power that's in his word, the power that's in Jesus. And forget about what the critics say. And forget about what the pundits say. And forget about what everybody else says. About what's politically correct and not politically correct. And what you can say. And just live the life of Christ out. Just love people where they are. And just plant the seed of God. Whether it's good soil or bad soil. Just plant it. And just sow it. And just live that out. And just passionately love Jesus. Passionately love Jesus. Just with all of our heart. With all of our soul. What if we just practice the Bible? Nothing more. Nothing less. We're not doing anything crazy. We're just going to love Jesus. We're going to love our spouses. We're going to love our kids even when they, we're just going to love our kids. And in the end, we're just going to believe that God's going to show up. What would happen? I'm telling you what will happen. It would ripple throughout this community and throughout this county and throughout neighboring counties that God is working and that God is working. And it wouldn't be about a pastor or a preacher or a worship team or a church building. It would be like there is something that's happening. There is something that's tangibly happening. There is something that's happening that the waters are troubled, that God is moving. Because of a pastor? No. Because of a building? No. Because of a program? No. Because of a a ministry staff? No. Because God's people are coming together. And God's people are just simply trusting that he will do what he says he's going to do. That's the parable of seed. That's the parable of the mustard seed. That the little things become much when God's in them. And I believe that's what God's doing in your life. And that's what he's doing in my life. And I believe that's what he wants to do through here, through this church. And I'll say this, and then I'll shut up. He gives us opportunities. We steward those opportunities, or he'll find a group of people that will. That church I was in, 56 in Burleigh, there was a day when it was standing room only, but not today. Quit looking about what we've done. (laughs) We're not as good as we think we are. Don't worry about tomorrow, but we better live in the now. Because if we don't, we become just like every other church. We're a building and we're a story what used to be, instead of being this vibrancy of what God wants to do and what he can do, what he will do. And he's given us this season. Just plant the seed. You don't have to do the work. Just plant. Just be faithful. He'll make it fruitful. Don't worry about it growing. Don't worry about your business growing. Don't worry about your family. Just, if you'll just be faithful to do what you can do, he'll take care of what you can't do. If you'll just be faithful to love your spouse, he'll take care. If you'll just be faithful to, he'll, he'll be, if you'll just be faithful to, to, to honor him with a tithe, he'll take care of the rest. If you'll just be faithful, if you'll just be faithful, he'll make you fruitful. But the question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust him? That's what I believe he's wanting to do in our midst. And that's believe I, what I believe that you want him to do. I know that's what I want, is where he shows up. I don't want to ask God to bless what I'm doing. I just want to find out what he's doing, and I, I want to do what he's blessing. Amen?